Good evening, friends. For those who are visiting or here for the first time, my name is Shelley, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I have got the great privilege of being able to share with you in this third week of our Patterns series. And again, if it is the first time you've come to join us and you're wondering what the series is about, um, I think it would be great just to give you some context as to what our heart was when we put this series together. Now, as you know, a, a pattern is a repeated decorative design. You'll see we've got a great pattern that was designed for us on our little advert there. And I was going to do a, a quick design quiz now, just to see who can tell me what these different patterns are. I know there's a, you know, we've got a church here full of great bright minds, and so I'm sure you can guess a few of these. And the first one, I think, is a pretty, you know, easy start. So, Jeff, if you can put the first one up. What is that? Just Tartan. Tartan. Okay, maybe not so easy. Um, it's a good thing there's an incentive with the rest. Um, there's a, just a bit of a sweet treat here to help keep you awake for the rest of the service. So some incentive to guess the rest. So let's just see. Now we're going to just, there's about six more for you to guess. And obviously if you, if you want to sort of get your sweet treat to entice you on, you need to do that boldly and loudly and so that no one can actually dispute the fact that you are owed the chocolate. So if you can show us the next one. Um, what is who said gingham? Yes, I actually thought you'd be very good at this. There we go. Um, I'm not going to throw it to you because the last time I did that, I knocked somebody else. And um, I promised my husband I'd be with, you know, have more dignity this time. So I'm not going to throw. Rather, Ames, can you just pass it there? Yeah. Let's do this with dignity. I don't want to knock another lady out like last time. Okay, this one's a bit more challenging. Yes, someone said it down here. Who said herringbone? Huh? There we go. Fantastic. Okay, so thank you, Bradles. There we go. Jeez, that's really impressive. This is very close to herringbone, but it has another name. Okay, let's go with the next one. Yes. Oh, my word, Luke. Who knew? I'm going to throw it to you. <laughs> okay, and the next one, also I think this was challenging. Oh my word, Terry, before we could even say it, there we go. Houndstooth, it is indeed. Oh, sorry, so that's why I didn't throw. Now this, you're going to have to be quick, because I think it's pretty easy. Okay. Yes. Well done. And the last one. And be kind to the pregnant woman here who would love to guess this one. But she didn't. <laughs> it's not just Greek. So you can't just say Greek. It's Greek something. Not Greek pattern. Not a Greek wave. What do you turn a door open with? Eh? Yes. Key. Was that you, Grant? Greek key. There we go. Well done. No, thank you. Okay, so that's a bit of design trivia for us this evening. So I can tell you right up front that our series has got nothing to do with an education and decorative design. That was just a bit of fun up front, so yeah, you'll be glad to know that. Um, you know, a pattern is also a set of instructions um, to be followed in making something. For example, you know, a sewn item. Um, and again, I have to say that this series is not going to be at all a how-to on sewing. Devastating, though I know all of you are. 
But there is another definition for a pattern that I'm going to ask Jeff to just put in the screen there for us. And it is a pattern, it is a discernible. In other words, it is something that is noticeable, it is visible, it is obvious, regularity or consistency in the world. A pattern is a discernible regularity in the world. Our friends, our motto as a church is that we would continue the work of Jesus. And we believe that we are created with purpose. We believe that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And that spirit begins a work of transformation in each one of our lives. And our spiritual journey is just that. It is a journey of growing in maturity and growing in understanding of God and all that he has in store for us and all that we are meant to be and created to be. It's growing in kingdom understanding. And we believe that there are patterns that we can and we must adopt in our lives that will be essential for our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. And when we adopt these as patterns, in other words, that they are discernible, they are visible, and they are consistent, there's a regularity to them, that they will be life-giving and they will be transformational. And so this series is about teaching about some, not all, but some of those most important spiritual patterns that we feel need to be a regularity in our world and in our lives if we are going to grow to be all that we are created to be. They're those things that we believe, if consistently applied, can actually change your life. And the whole purpose of these patterns, really, is that you would be totally transformed as a person. These, these habits, these, these patterns... They really are there. They're aiming at replacing old, destructive patterns of thought and action with new, life-giving patterns. And if we look at Jesus' life here on earth, we see in the Gospels, and we're looking particularly in the Gospels, we notice there were a, a set of patterns that came about in the way that he lived. And we want our lives to be patterned and shaped by Jesus, by his life. And we are trusting that some of these patterns that we're going to be sharing with you will help you to identify specific ways in which you can grow and mature in this year in order to better walk as Jesus walked so that we are together able to fulfill our mission of continuing the work of Jesus. Jolene and Roland have already taken, given you some inputs into the patterns of prayer and the patterns of fasting. And tonight I want to share with you about making study a consistent pattern in our lives. Now, speaking about the life of Jesus as an example, the Bible demonstrates that Jesus Christ had an intimate knowledge of the scriptures. And as early as his first visit to the temple, when he just absolutely astonished the teachers of the temple there in Jerusalem with incredibly insightful answers. And he was 12 at the time. Now, his working knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures is what we would call today encyclopedic. I mean, he didn't attend the rabbinical schools, and so he must have gained that familiarity with the Word of God by other means. And he would have acquired it in the same way that any other student of the Word of God can acquire it, by diligence and prayerful personal study of the Word of God. And it would seem that he had done this from the time that he was a small boy. Jesus, in his humanity, did learn. And learning is a major element of being human. And the scriptures teach us that Jesus grew physically, he grew mentally, and he grew spiritually. Luke 2, verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. 
Verse 47, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. In verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. In the gospel accounts, we often read of occasions where he's found in the early morning or at the end of the day, in the little twilight of the day, alone on a mountainside or somewhere out in nature just choosing to spend time alone with God and pray, study of his word. During his ministry, his intimate acquaintance with scriptures testifies to the fact that he was diligent in his study of them. Jesus' whole life was based on, it is written, it is written. And during the temptations in the wilderness, we know his answer to Satan was always rooted in scripture. And quite often as well, when confronted by those who are attempting to, to trap him, he used scripture in his rebuttal of that. And certainly he knew who he was and what his mission was through the study of the word. Luke 4 verse 18 says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone on the synagogue was fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Yes, Jesus was fully God. But in his humanity... He is a perfect human example to each one of us as we also seek to learn the scriptures and to grow in wisdom and grow in favor with God. And since he gained knowledge, as we can gain it too, this pattern of regular study in Jesus' life is a testimony to us about the value that Jesus put on scripture and the value that it has to each one of us. Now, what thoughts or images come to mind when you think of the word study? Probably most of you would have those kind of images or thoughts, you know. The emotions kind of stirred up, which, for, you know, for a lot of people, if we're honest, be a bit of anguish or, you know, boredom. Certainly not that riveting excitement shown by the lower picture there. You know, I, I say, actually, I suspect many of you are quite tempted, in fact, to switch off right now because, you know, when you think, oh, study... It immediately makes you think of school, of varsity, and just this like the mountain of challenges that are associated for so many with this word study. But I want to say, do not be put off by negative perception of what you think about this word. And in fact, I want to encourage you right up front um, to do the very opposite and to pay close attention because when you fully understand what the pattern or, or even this discipline of study is about, you will soon realize it is one of the central ways that God uses to change us. And it is not a purely academic exercise. It is for every single one of us. And it doesn't have to be something that is boring. In fact, this pattern in our lives can lead to those kind of eureka moments in life where, where you, just, you just get it and the lights just come on. Accepting you're not getting a maths equation or something like that, but you're getting a life-changing truth that has the power to shape your life at a very, very deep level. Now, what is this pattern of study all about then? 
Well, there, there, there are two key scriptures. In fact, just two verses that I want to leave with you tonight. I might share, share you know, a few more in the course of the evening, but there are just two verses that I'm going to ask you to remember and to leave thinking about and to ponder on through the course of this week. And the first one comes from John 8, verse 32, where Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, without the truth, we will never truly be free. And spiritual study, this pattern of study, is about getting to that place of knowing the truth. It's often said that a person's thoughts determine their reality. But how do we change our thoughts in order to, to change our lives? And the other verse I want to share with you is from Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are transformed, we are changed through the renewing of our minds. And the mind is renewed when we apply it to those things that are going to transform it and change it. And that is what the pattern of study is all about. You know, our thoughts and our actions are, are so intricately linked. And whatever we apply our minds to, that's going to be the thing that's going to shape us. What we pay attention to shapes our reality. And the pattern, this pattern of study, it, it takes that point very, very seriously. There is a beautiful verse in the Psalms, Psalm 42 verse 7, which speaks about deep calling out to deep. And I've always seen that as the most amazing picture and invitation of the deep things of God calling out to the deep things of man. And it is a verse that holds so much promise and so much excitement for me. And this challenge or call for us to study, it's really, it's a call for us to be intentional in choosing the things on which we are going to focus. And a challenge and call to study them and zone into them in a much deeper, deeper way than we might have ever done before. So that the deep things of God would begin to touch and shape and make the deep things within each one of us. In 1978, a man by the name of Richard Foster, um, he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And this book has become a classic throughout the Christian world. And to this day, I think it's one of the, you know, a highly, highly recommended book. And he looks at different disciplines that he thinks are essential, um, tying in very much with what we're talking about here. And he was trying to describe this discipline or this pattern of study. And he, he gives the following definition. I know it's a bit wordy, but I, I think it's got a lot of truth there to try and unpack this for us. So I've put it there for you to look at. He says, study is a specific kind of experience in which through careful attention to reality, the mind is enabled to move in a specific direction. The mind will always take on an order conforming to the order upon which it concentrates. Perhaps you study a tree or you study a book. You see it, you feel it, you understand it, you draw conclusions from it. And as we do, our thought processes take on an order conforming to the order in the tree or the book. And when this is done with concentration, perception, and repetition, ingrained habits of thought are formed. And the more intensely that you study something, the more your mind's going to conform to the order upon which it concentrates. You know, the Old Testament, they instructed the Israelites to regular, regular exposure to God's instructions. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it speaks about, and the Lord says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. In other words, 
let my words always, always be in view, always before you. You know, this, the whole purpose of this instruction was to continually, all the time, direct their minds repeatedly and regularly towards the things of God. And it was to be a regular pattern in their lives. Study is not about an accumulation of knowledge. Ultimately, there's a great definition here. I mean, Jeff's going to put up there. The purpose of the spiritual discipline of study is to take knowledge from that long journey from our head into our hearts. In fact, going beyond that even to, to take what's there in our head and move it almost into the very like, fiber of our being, into the marrow of our bones, if you want to say, so that it doesn't only just alter the way we think, but it actually just transforms the whole contours of who we are and, and how we're acting in the world around us. And what we study determines the kind of habits that are formed in the mind. And that is why Paul's admonition in Philippians is so important and insightful. In Philippians 4 verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So what are the things that, that we should be studying? Now, most obviously, um, study is the primary way in which we engage ourselves with the written word of God and spoken word of God. And I'm going to unpack that a, a bit more for you just now, but I just want to give you other ways as well that we should and, and could be in, engaging in this pattern of study in our lives. And the second thing is, you know, study can also focus on the reading of good books. And obviously there's, there's some, you know, some important rules to apply there. It's not just, you know, whizzing through for some great entertainment, but choosing some really good books and getting to the place where if you're going to study them, you are understanding the book. In other words, you know, you come to the place where you know what the author is saying in the book. You are able to know what they, not just what they're saying, but what they're meaning. So you understand the book. You have interpreted the book, but most importantly, then, a place where you can evaluate the book and say, sure, you know, is this author right or is this author wrong? There have been some phenomenal books that I have studied that have shaped and molded my life as a follower of Jesus Christ with some amazing truths that, when they've sunk into the marrow of my bones, have totally impacted how I walk with God. And so I really want to encourage you to, to do that, to look for some good books um, that you can study as well, that can shape you and grow you in this way. Uh, an often neglected area of study um, involves observing things and people, but there's also a lot of value in that. I mean, you know, one of the easiest ways of studying people more closely is to go people watching without being too creepy on this. But, you know, if you go to a mall or, in fact, my favorite place for this is always the airport. Um, the airport is the most phenomenal way to do some people watching because you want to see people participating in a variety of activities in every, everyday life. And it's even better if you can hear people talking and just general conversation vibes. Again, not anything creepy eavesdropping, but you will be amazing how much you can learn by sincerely studying and observing people and listening. Just sitting and listening and observing. And, and not just stopping there, but after that, really you know, internalizing everything you've seen there and look after that and say, you know, what, is, what have I learned through what I have watched and studied and, and seen in the people? What have I learned about human nature? Um, what, is, what I've seen, what does it support um, 
you know, what, you know, what I've seen, you know, how does it support what God teaches, what the Bible says about people? And you can have some amazing revelations through, like, deeply pondering those things you see around you in everyday life. And, you know, amazing truths about relationships, about honor, and all the rest of it. Paying attention to nature is another thing we can study. I think the mysteries of God are most often experienced in nature. Um, you just have to have seen a, a little creature being born to, to know that's true. I don't know how many of you have ever watched your dog giving birth to, to puppies, or like me, my cat giving birth to kittens, but there's something amazing about seeing life come into this world, um, or even just the transformation of a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. By paying attention and deeply studying those things, they can also be really shaping moments. And we also need to, I think, study the cultures and events of our times. It's important for us to take time to ponder and think and study those things. I think our latest water crisis in Cape Town has given us an amazing opportunity. You can either just, you know, turn off to that, or have you really spent time thinking through and, you know, observing everything that's going on, looking at your own reaction to that, others' responses to that. This has been the most incredible learning curve for us as people, for us as individuals. And if you allow yourselves to be tuned in and study the events of your time, God could use those very real events around you to totally challenge you, to challenge your humanity, your godliness, and a whole lot of things if you apply yourself to the study of what's happening and allow God's Spirit to interact with that as you learn more about yourself in your response to things that are happening around you. But then the really important one that I started with, studying the Bible. What priority do you place on the Word of God today? You know, are you spending enough time in the Word of God to get really excited about it? Or does all the, the you know, the media and everything else that's, that's vying for your attention just, you know, crowd out the Word of God from your lives? What does it mean to really study the Bible? Because, you know, studying the Bible is far more than just reading the Bible. And just because you're reading the Bible, that doesn't mean you're studying it. Studying differs from reading in the degree of involvement, focus, and thought that you're bringing to what you're, what you're reading. And I, I read about this great analogy, and hence the picture that you're looking at there. And they said, you know, reading, reading is like riding the surface of the sea on a jet ski. You know, you're getting a nice general view of, of all the surroundings, you know, and it's, it's quite nice, you know, great big perspective. But study, study is scuba diving below the surface where you're deliberately hunting for the treasures below and a whole new world opens up for you. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what this pattern of study can be like for you. Um, scuba diving into the depths, looking for treasure and having a whole new world come alive for you. Now, a lot of us do read for entertainment, we read for information, but study, as I said, is not about information, it's not about entertainment, it's about gaining discernment. And that is the key thing. And in studying, you, you know, you're seeking to know not just, you know, what portion of Scripture it means generally, but what does it mean for you? And in study, you are having to personally be open to that text. You have to be personally open to that Word of God, influencing from that point your decisions, your ideas about life, and how you think that you should act. And again, this Richard Foster, he, has, he speaks about four different steps that are involved in study, and I think they're really helpful way. Just, and I want to just share those with you, because I think you know, all four of those components are an important part of study, and it helps for you to get a better grasp of what it's about. And the first one, he says, is repetition. 
Repetition. Repetition regularly channels your mind in a, in a certain direction. And I mean, think about it. You know, violence, we know, it's not new to the human race, um, but it is an increasing problem in our, in our society. And while the causes of, of youth violence are absolutely multifaceted and incredibly complex, the research literature is quite compelling that children's repeated exposure to media violence, which really is found on nearly, nearly every you know, channel these days, does play an important role in the etiology of violent behaviors. And so, I mean, television programming, it's a thing. And the repetition alone trains the inner mind in these destructive thought patterns. But on the plus side too, this repetition for us in the Word of God is going to regularly channel our minds in the right direction. And so what we're saying about that is when we're getting into the Word, that we need to be reading a passage over and over again, especially if you feel like you're just not getting it. Because even if you think you do get it, if you just read it one more time, you'll discover that there's new things that come alive for you with every sort of pass that you have at that, that, that's, at that text. And the more you read it, the more it's going to become ingrained in your soul. But that's just step one. Even my cockatiel could do repetition really, really well. Concentration is the next thing. And concentration, that's when we really focus our attention on what is being studied. Now, we know we live in a culture that doesn't value concentration. Um, I mean, distraction is the order of the day. Many of you I know are multitasking experts, and some of you, or in fact, probably a, a huge amount of you, have got that great ability of being able to read a book the same time as watching a TV series, at the same time as communicating with about four friends. And, you know, many people find it virtually impossible to go through an entire day just focusing, you know, on one thing. How many times do you find that you sort of, you know, you read a book, or, you know, you close the book straight afterwards, and, and really shortly afterwards think, I can't even remember anything of what I've just read. And, you know, the information seems to have just like gone through your head, like water goes through, you know, through a sieve. And it's this phenomenon that leads a lot of people to think, you know what, I'm just not a good reader. And this pattern of study, you know, it actually isn't going to be for me because really this is not a skill that I have. It's more for those who are, you know, good readers who can do this. You know, but I'm afraid, I just, you know, I'm a really poor reader. Now, in the book Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, he gives this great analogy to explain the fact that the real root of the issue is not if you are a good reader or not a good reader. It is how you as a reader go about reading. And so he gives this beautiful picture there. And he says, imagine like you've been outside. It's one of those really freezing icy days. So don't even think Cape Town here. Think like, you know, middle of Europe in winter. It's like snowing. It's freezing. It's, you, you're like icy to the core of your being sort of thing. You come inside, there's this beautiful hot crackling fire there in the fireplace, and as you walk towards it, you know, you're really cold, like freezing, freezing, bone-chilling cold, and as you walk into the fireplace, you know, you kind of, you stretch out your hands to the fire, and you know, you rub them together briskly, but you keep walking, you know, past the fireplace, and so uh, a quick little rub of your hands as you, you know, in the sort of two seconds that you are exposed, you know, to the glow of the fire, and then you walk to the other side of the room. And when you get there, you realize, you know, I'm, I'm still freezing, freezing cold. And is there something wrong with you? Are you just, in that instant, instance, like a second-class warmer-upper? You know, just really not good at warming up. You are just not good at this warming up thing. No, the problem isn't you. 
It's your method at trying to warm yourself up because you didn't stay by the fire. If you want to get warm, really warm, when you are that cold, you have to linger by the fire. And you've got to linger until it warms you up, it warms your skin up, and then it begins to warm your muscles up, and then it begins to warm your bones up until you become fully, fully warm. But that takes time, and it takes lingering and lingering by the flames. If you're just going to rapidly pass over a line in a book and then read the next one, never pausing to consider what you're reading, those words are never going to have a chance to warm you. You've got to linger by the heat. You've got to take the time to really ponder what it is that you are studying. And as you read, pay attention to what's really impressing your mind or what, like what's grabbing your attention. You know, is there a line in what you're reading that just feels profound to you, that maybe stirs something inside that you need to look at closer? Does something you read seem to just expand your soul in some way? Take time to reflect, like why does this sentence or why does this section provoke that kind of effect in me? Do you see perhaps in what you're reading a, a signpost that's kind of pointing you in a certain direction? Is there an invitation perhaps in some of the words that you read? And at the same time, Consider those places that also make you feel a sense of resistance or a sense of just being uncomfortable. And you take time to think, why does this section like just subtly repel me? Why does it turn me off? Is it conveying something that like, I genuinely disagree with here? Or is it perhaps reminding me of a calling or a desire that I know that I should be fulfilling, but I'm stubbornly resisting or trying to run away from. Linger by the fire. Choose to block distractions. Our screens are ever beckoning, I know, and it can be really hard to do some deep work these days. But make that choice to linger by the fire. And sometimes finding a really good place that doesn't have the distractions you know are going to grab you is a, a really practical thing that's going to help you with this. Um, but always, you know, don't let your mind go off there. Bring it back. Bring it back. Linger. And let that fire warm you. The third step is, is comprehension. And comprehension here focuses on like knowing. It's a, it's a knowledge of the truth. You've heard that word enough in English to know that. And I mean, all of us have had an experience of reading something over and over again, and then suddenly we're like, the lights just come on. And it's like that eureka experience of understanding, and it just suddenly like catapults you into a whole new level of growth, of, of freedom, of just like, you know, getting it. Whatever it takes to get you to that eureka or light bulb experience, that's what you need to do. And for different things, um, for different things, for different people, that's different things. I mean, just some very practical things quickly there. I know for me, when I first got a beautiful Bible from my dad, when, when I, soon after I became a follower of Jesus, it was like this amazing study Bible, and I didn't want to tarnish it in any shape or form, you know, or make a mark or anything. But I soon learned that for me to really study and get in and get warmed um, by the Word of God, and because of how I'm made up, I need color and pen and pencil and everything else 
And very soon, my Bible became a Bible that was highlighted with everything, was underlined, and I, I wrote in the margins, right in the margins. When God speaks to you and you have a, a moment of eureka, or whatever it might be, make those notions in your Bible. It is something so precious to me now to go back and, and, you know, especially with, you know, age coming on and memory fading, to look back and see, you know, 25 years back. I um, you know, I've got dates and times there where, I, you know, I put, I've specifically noted what God said to me in that particular scripture then. And those still have the power, like decades later, to have a real profound impact on my life um, and reminding me of, of just how real God is, how involved he is in my life, and how he desires to constantly be imparting that level of depth and direction to me. And there's so many practical things I could share with you there, but I am very concerned about time. So come chat to me. I'm going to just leave out a whole lot there of practical tips around how to really get to comprehending God's Word. Um, but I'm afraid we're going to just have to rush on a bit there. And the last step there is reflection. And it's so important to, to take time for reflection. You know, that's, that's really where we move to the place of, of, you know, getting to understand the significance of what we are studying. Reflection brings us to the place where we're now saying, you know, I'm now looking at this from God's perspective. Um, reflection is applying everything you've studied, everything you've like, you've got it, you understand that, but now it's applying that to my life. And that's what makes the step so crucial and critical. How can you put what you're learning, what you've come to understand, what God has revealed to you into practice? How can all these insights you've gleaned, um, these changes you know you've got to make, how can you, you, you know, how are they going to change the way you see your life, the decisions you make, the, the habits that are part of your life? And, you know, if distraction and um, lack of concentration are, are challenges for you, you know, and, and cause your mind to be that sieve, well, think about this, reflection and contemplation those are the things that kind of shore up those holes in the sieve of your mind. And they allow you, if you reflect on those truths, they allow you to better understand, better absorb, and better retain the knowledge that you studied. And the better it's absorbed, the more it's going to transform you. So just in closing, just want to make one quick note. Is that the, the key to all of this when it comes to this pattern of study is humility. Because study cannot happen until we are willing to subject ourselves to the subject matter. We have got to submit ourselves to the Word of God. We've got to come not as a teacher there or with arrogance, but we come as a student. Arrogance, a teachable spirit, don't go together. Even the Pharisees, we read in the Scriptures, they knew the Scriptures but they were never transformed to be more Christ-like. And it was their pride that made them so dear to that. This pattern of study is not for the academics. It's not for those who think they're bright and insightful. It is for everyone because of the role that the Spirit of God plays in that. And we've got to come to this place of the study realizing all of us are able to engage in this pattern of study, and we've got to come humbly and ready for God to change us. And so I hope that this has helped some of you realize the real adventure that awaits in applying yourself to this pattern of study in your life. And uh, I want to conclude with, like, you know, a, a prayer for you, really. And there's five things that I pray for, for each of us when it comes to this pattern of study. I pray, number one, that the fruit of this pattern of study would be such a reality in each of your lives that other people will notice we said before, you know, a pattern, it's a discernible regularity in the world. I pray 
that it will be such a reality that others will notice this about you. I pray, number two, that you would hunger for the deep truths of God and be motivated to feed that hunger. In other words, I'm saying I pray that you're going to have many more of you choosing to scuba dive rather than riding the surface of the water. Thirdly, I pray that you may make the time to engage with and understand the Word of God so that you can be changed by it. In other words, I'm praying that you're going to learn the art of lingering by the fire until you are fully warm. And then fourthly, I pray that you may press in and persevere, especially when you are tempted to give in to apathy and to superficiality. I pray that study would become a lifestyle to you and not a thing that you do. And lastly, I pray for all of us that we would be able to join with the psalmist in crying out these words and really meaning them. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Renew my life according to your word. Amen to that. Nick and Mike and the team are going to come up on the stage here. And we are going to end our time together just standing up as a family and ending with a song of proclamation on our lips. And I think we're going to end with the same song we started with, Rise. It's also an instruction. Rise and beautiful words for us to leave on there. A great prayer. Lord, spring up, O well. Living water made rise within each one of us. Holy Spirit, deep within us, cause us just to rise. So we're going to end in the song of declaration, and then we invite you to, to join us afterwards for, for coffee and mac and cheese. And if any of you are wanting some prayer or ministry, um, linger in the sanctuary, and feel free to come up front if you want anyone to pray with you. Thank you.